How do you do, pod world? This is Chris Sinclair. And this is Drew Garrison, and we're back. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Oh man, uh, so there was a week off, essentially, because somebody went and had a child. Yeah, I'm trying to make better life choices, but clearly that's not a... Uh, oh, it's keep it over for you. That's it. You've made the worst life choice. To, I mean, in, it's great to be a dad, but now you don't get to make choices anymore. Now Correct. Now it's solely about your child. I've been married, so I my, <laughs> my ability to make choices had gone away a long time ago. Well, that makes sense. But congratulations, bud. Welcome to um, the dad family. Welcome more particularly to the girl dad family yeah it's a fun group and it's a great group to be a part of so i'm really excited you should be and your kid's hella cute so good job jen she is fucking adorable and thank god she looks more like my wife than me (laughs) which i know you i know you appreciate because you know yeah my daughter looks like looks like my wife as well so i can do that and then we're both just yeah well done uh, marrying people with stronger genes. We outkicked our coverage. For sure. Football reference. It's Football Sunday. Yeah. And we're here recording a podcast instead of watching the big game. I although feel great about that. Although we did we did watch it on GameCast and it appears <laughs> in the in the last fifteen minutes the 49ers have allowed twenty one points and not scored any of themselves. And they're now losers of the Super Bowl. So to all of our friends, which we know we do have quite a few that are 49ers fans. Maybe next year? Hardcore shruggy pose? Hardcore shrug. Um, but let's get back to the fun stuff and let's celebrate. We're going to bust out our bottle of booze. Whoa. Yes. Whoa, indeed. Um, folks, I really wish we had a visual podcast right now. Yeah, I like the mushrooms on the on the label. It's like the most confusing it first note that you can give. Yeah, it really makes me feel like this is... A lot more dangerous than it probably is. Yeah. So what we're going to be drinking is as, is actually the Sol Tarasco Charanda Hongos rum from. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess I didn't have to say rum. Well, I guess yeah, yeah rum, yeah, so yeah, that people yeah, know what we're talking about. Yeah. But uh, this is this Charanda is from Michoacan, Mexico. So for. For our, you know, our friends and family out there who don't know what a Trana is, Trana is rum, but because it's from Michoacan, it's actually called Taranda. And Taranda is the Tarascan word for red soil. Chris, do you know what the Tarascan language is? I don't. Okay, so that was the language that predated the Spanish invading Mexico. So this is this is the language they were speaking before Spanish became the number one language That's in really Mexico. Cool. So uh, when you see that, you'd be like, in, "Oh, in Michoacan, in Michoacan." Yes. Yeah. 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 So um, this one in particular, uh, we do carry some of its counterparts. So and actually, you carry them as well. I'm a big fan. You have the 50/50 blend plus the 100% agricole. This is an aged expression that we actually don't have available in the United States. Um, and not only is this aged, but they also infuse mushrooms into it That's so at neat. one point. So the bottle is awesome. It has this really beautiful illustration of mushrooms on the front. And then there's actually like this little... Oh, mushroom charm. This little, yeah, this little necklace thing that hangs around the neck of the bottle of this metal mushroom. And it's super rad. Um, I got this bottle 
during my last trip to Michoacan, when I actually got to visit the distillery, hang out with Miriam, who's the producer of this. She's like the most amazing woman in the entire world. And that was almost a year ago now. I have been sitting on this bottle since then, waiting for the right situation to pop it open. And I was just, and I was sitting there getting my bottles ready today. And we're like, hey, what are we going to drink tonight? And I was like, you know what? My boy just had a baby girl. <laughs> Let's pop open some mushroom charanda and see what the hell happens. That's great. So, um, without much further ado, we're going to... Sorry, Jen. To my, oh. Tonight might get a little weird. Uh, well, we, we got to be careful because this is also... Like the king of uh, DUI days. Um, That's right. And so there's oh, actually look. little bits of mushroom that are going to be in our beverage as well. So make peace with that. Um, I'm actually going to throw a little bit more in there. Yeah, mine didn't get any. Yeah, I got all the little You got all of it. It was just floating pieces. right near the top. I'll pull one out for you and let you chew on it. All right. Uh, so so again, this is a this is a pretty this is a pretty fun fun uh, agricole expression and uh you know agricole we're talking about sugarcane distillate um copper pot distillation and um and again just a really really fun expression then at one point they they throw in some some mushrooms for for good measure the uh the high esters that were not coming off coming off of this right in the glass i mean that's intense it i know it's only 40 percent, but it it smells like it's more uh, for sure, but it's the color is great too. It looks like a, looks like a rich apple cider or something like that, like you know, or like a apple juice. I got Martinelli's. It certainly doesn't taste like Martinelli's though. Holy moly! Damn, Drew, that's good. Super, super different, right? Yeah. The um, the barrel aging on that is it really sets it apart from the other the the two other Chirondas. Yeah, I mean, so typically when you have these types of expressions, or at least the ones that we're familiar with, right, the ones yeah, that I carry, yeah. they're super vegetal, mm-hmm. um, very bright, and um, this one has this really like interesting calmness to it. And you know it comes in. There's also there's heavy vanilla notes. Um, I, there's almost like this unique sweetness. I wonder if that comes from the mushrooms itself. Um, I'm assuming they're using ex bourbon barrels. Yeah. So this is a blend of 12, 24, and 36 months. So kind of having some different expressions along the way is uh, kind of interesting. Which is. Which I really love about what they do down there. You know, blending those different barrels together to kind of come to this taste profile is really cool. You know, and I've been in their barrel room and it's super awesome. Yeah, you know, the uh, it has a really fun finish to it, which reminds me of the the last um, the last uh, God damn it, Chris, um, the whistle pig, the the. Um, Last hog. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. The the um, samurai scientist, samurai scientist exp- uh, at Boss Hog has has this great mushroomy quality to the finish of it. Um, not because they threw mushrooms in it, unlike this where they threw <laughs> they mushrooms in it. Put mushrooms in um, it. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of neat. Yeah, I'm. Uh, 
and just reading up on it and just trying to see like other people's interpretations of it because you know again this is not a product that's available in the united states but you can get it in the uk um and i i love these notes that i'm actually reading the fat rum pirates website and he does some pretty cool reviews and they're very well researched and stuff so despite the horrible name i do enjoy this guy's site um but he talks about the the Chirana has the not so secret ingredient dried mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's this smells like this smells like my twenties at a at a house party when someone just broke out the shrooms. Is that is that what it's 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 I calling mean, back to? Definitely for me. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, yeah, I you know I don't I don't know if. Uh, if there's like issues with bringing in something like this to the U.S. in terms of like throwing that food in there, um, in terms of the infusion, I don't know. But I uh, I definitely want to apply some pressure to our importer and be like, dude, let's get some aged Chiranda up here. This stuff is dope. Yeah, it's um, fun. So uh, so there's so there is that. We'll be sipping on this uh, the entire time. Again, sorry guys, you can't get this exact version, but you can get. They're unaged versions, which to me are some of the best rums that are on the market right now. And you can find them at Chris's uh, bottle shop as well, which is super awesome. Um, but moving on to housekeeping, you made a promise to the listeners two weeks ago that we were going to cover terms, slang terms That's for right. bourbon that you thought were funny. Um, well, I, I don't think it's funny. I think, I think, I think it's fun to go through them. I think if you're not an industry pro hearing hearing some of the, the lingo that we use uh, and that we threw around sounds a little funny but uh, but <laughs> some of the stuff that was on this list I had never even heard of that's true and that that's it kind of made me laugh a little bit okay so what there's 11 terms that are listed here on this on this page and um, so I'm gonna ask you if you know what they are great and then if you do you can tell me and if you don't we'll read what they say it is Okay, good. So I don't. Or you, you can even give an education. We're gonna guess. balderdash this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. First term: juice. Juice. Juice is the liquid that we're talking about. Alcohol. Yes. Don't get you too much. Okay. All right. All right. Or too much. Unicorn. Unicorn is the hard to find booze. Honey hole. That's. Uh, oh man. So many things. Okay, so what it is is a liquor store that is both rich in prized bottles of bourbon and sells them at near or at their retail prices. Most honey holes are found on the outskirts of urban areas where they will receive a city's allocation of high-value bourbon, but with far less foot traffic. So you will never be a honey hole. You have way too many people around you. Um, honey barrel. Honey barrel, I'm assuming at that point in time, then is a heart, is a... Uh, Great bourbon, great price, or great juice, great price. Uh, that's uh, hard to find, or not necessarily. It is unrelated to the honey hole. The honey barrel is something out of the old bourbon lore. It is the platonic ideal bourbon barrel created by unscientific, quote unquote, know it when you taste it fusion of temperature, rickhouse location, age, distiller, know how, and luck. So, great. Yeah. So I guess if you could be like, you taste something you really like, it's a single barrel expression, but bam. That's one hell of a honey barrel. You know, that could be what you say. Um, fake tan. Uh, fake tan is color added. Yes. Tater. <laughs> Tater. T-A-T-E-R. I don't know. 
Um, a tater is a sign of the times. The latest word in bourbon whiskey parlance. A tater is an enthusiast who perpetuates a category's newly found hype culture. Taters are the type to run to a liquor store upon hearing a bottle is getting hot, like let's say if it won an award, and buy a case for the sole purpose of reselling it. For a more complete list of tater moves, check out Tater Talk 81 and counting signs you might be a tater. Um, where did that come from? Uh, well, I think it's, I mean, I definitely see it in a lot of groups where you, you see people, because, you, you know, you, people are like painfully honest on these on these pages, right? So I've, I've watched numerous people come in and be like, hey, I'm new to bourbon, what should I buy? And stuff like that. And then within three months, like they're talking as if they've been doing it for years. So why tater? Um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's like a deep south thing. That's like a diss for, maybe, for taters. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like it could be. I like taters. Well, this is not the kind of tater you want to be. Obviously. So don't be a tater. We might have to do that tater talk 81 and counting signs because that does sound hilarious. Um, moving on. White dog. White dog is unaged whiskey. Yes. Angel share is the uh, evaporation from the barrel. Yes. The hunt. I, the hunt is by looking for something good? Correct. Okay. Um, I also hate that term, like, religiously, because it's so dumb. Um, dusties. Uh, shit that sits on the shelves. Yes. So the way that they describe it here, bottles of old out-of-production booze that's been sitting in a case at the back of the shelf or long buried in someone's liquor cabinet. Hunting dusties is a graduated form of bourbon collecting, a practice that requires foreknowledge of what was made in the past and valuing, of course, where it might be hiding. Dusties, I've also seen referred to as like someone, like a liquor store has it on their shelf, but they have it for some ridiculous price. So all it does is collect dust there. Yeah, it, it, it somehow offers legitimacy to whatever that store is doing. Yeah, right? Like, oh yeah, we have all these allocated bourbons, but they're three times They what? never want to sell them because they just want it to sit on the shelf. Totally, right. totally. So those are the dusters. Um, flipper. All right, uh, someone who buys and sells booze that is correct now that is the end of the list one that i think other people should know of is uh museums museum mm -hmm. museum is also kind of an extension of the dusties kind of thing it's where you have all these bottles that will never leave that place because they're priced so egregiously that no one would ever buy that um sounds like a really smart business model you know god i think i think so many different places are are guilty of that in like numerous ways. So even if it's not necessarily like a dusty situation where something's like too expensive, but let's say I, I go into a place and they're like, oh, well, you know, I'd really like to take in your mezcal gin, whatever, but I have so many of these right now, I gotta wait till I get rid of them to do something with it. I'm like, well, what are you doing to get rid of them? Well, nothing. Oh, great. <laughs> so they're gonna sit there for another three years while you do nothing with them. And I and I just, you know, I, I feel like there's just a certain point, like after that invoice has been paid and it's been sitting on that shelf for numerous years, it's like that thing is costing you money. Oh, definitely. Point, yeah. You know. I mean, that's real estate. Yeah. And it's just like you could have something that you actually want that you could push, but you're like, well, three and a half years ago, the former bar manager bought this gin and I don't know what to do with it. It's like... $2 shots, bro. Get rid yeah, of it. break even. Just get rid of that bottle. Yeah. Um, so, there's, so there's that. Uh, one other uh, housekeeping thing. We are working on the sound issues. And I appreciate anyone and everyone who has continued to deal with us <laughs> and those things. 
Um, you would not believe how much time we spend on this. And then eventually just throw our hands up and go, F it, we're just going to do it this way, and hopefully it sounds okay. Yeah, and that's why most of our episodes sound fine. Yeah. Uh, not just, great. Yeah, they, fine. they're fine. Eventually, when we get that sponsorship, we'll... Yeah, we'll get we'll hire. Yeah, that's it. So really, this is on you guys because none of you are paying for us to get into a sound booth. So <laughs> yeah. figure it out. We will figure it out. And with figuring that out, we are going to jump right into our stories, and we're gonna we're gonna kick this off with the Spirit Business, which is a publication uh, within our industry. Also has a very uh, engaged website as well, which you can check out has released the entire list of the most innovative brands of 2019. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go to the top five, and then Chris is going to give some of his highlights of other ones that are on there. It actually is a really cool list. It's a really neat list. Of things to check out. And I think it's important for people to look at this stuff because if you know if you are running a bar program or if you're looking for some way to make you know a cocktail stand out, Go through this list because there's some really cool stuff on here and maybe things you haven't considered. Um, so with that being said, uh, we're going to start at number five, and this is Acorn Drinks. This is the um, first dip into non-alcoholic aperitifs. Now, this is a, this is a company that's making this is a Seedlip. And this is, they have three expressions right now, 100% English-grown grapes, pressed early and blended with appetite stimulating herbs roots and bitter botanicals we talked about acorn on a on a previous episode did we i believe last season yeah last season yeah i don't remember that but good for them so i ran out of smoked cherry wood vanilla cola nut and chinoda neat so those are so that's the number five um for most innovative innovative brand at number four you have Ichiko Satan, 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 maybe. Um, this is actually something that we that we I do remember talking about right. to a certain degree. Um, this is a Japanese spirit which is similar to sochu, whereas sochu is around twenty five percent ABV. This one is closer to forty three percent, so definitely a lot more cocktail friendly. Um, this is something that's been used in like RTD cocktails and things like that already. So that is what's coming in at number four. At number three, you have the Never Never Black Juniper Amaro. Um, this is from a South Australian distillery where they are taking different components of juniper, roasted juniper, spent basque juniper, and then a juniper from a gin production run and then fresh fresh juniper all put together steeped in neutral spirit and then hand pressed into extract flavor the thought process is they want to get people into amaro by having a flavor profile of juniper in like gin to bring more people to the portfolio or to to the profile yeah i mean it's juniper four ways which is pretty neat uh, i i never would have thought of roasted juniper but um i Sure, why not? Yeah. I, I really want to try this. This sounds really fascinating to me. Yeah, and that's kind of like the theme throughout this entire list, right? Is that there's just so many interesting, cool things. Um, this next one is called Air Vodka. I need you to strap in for this Which one. Which made me... I mean, I looked at the name and yeah. I, I guffawed pretty hard. You right guffawed? I, I guffawed. What does that mean? That's a... 
that's my laugh. That's my you know my loud my loud oh. sharp laugh that I I have that is so just silky smooth. I rolled my eyes. That's fair because I yeah. did the same thing. Okay, so like I said, strap in for this one. Um, this is a Brooklyn-based technology company and lifestyle brand. Dope. So the eyes continue to roll. <laughs> um, this vodka was dubbed the first carbon-negative vodka. So air vodka is made by capturing excess carbon dioxide from the air and transforming it into a high-purity, beverage-grade ethyl alcohol. The spirit is made from just carbon dioxide and water. The production process uses electricity to break up carbon dioxide and water, then reforms the carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen atoms together on a catalyst to produce ethanol and oxygen. The method uses the same principles as photosynthesis in plants, but does but does so more efficiently, which I think is like pretty hilarious, you know, for this company to say that. It's like, you know, plants have been doing this forever. We're already better at it. Um, the conversion reactor produces a mixture of approximately 10% ABV without any solids or other products found in fermentation. The 10% ABV liquid is then distilled to 96.5% ABV in a custom-built 18-plate vodka still. So with 18 plates, you know it's going to be super smooth. What's a vodka still? Uh, I would assume column still. I'm assuming exactly That's, the same that's thing. how they described it. Um, followed by an additional proprietary trade secret process. I think maybe that's when they like actually put vodka in it. <laughs> they just <laughs> they, they take NGS and just blend it's it in. <laughs> it brings the vodka's ABV down to 40%. Uh, furthermore, according to Air Company, a single bottle of air vodka can provide the carbon reduction of 7.6 trees a day. So, I, I mean... I like where their head's at. Yeah, and uh, as as someone who considers himself somewhat of an environmentalist, like trying to do just the little things, I mean, if I drank vodka, I would drink air vodka. I drink vodka, and I would like to taste this. Yeah, just so, so that way I can laugh and maybe also enjoy it. Yeah, it's like I said, it's a lot to digest. It's there. <laughs> it's a lot to digest. Yeah, but that brings us to number not, one. Not for the environment, Drew. No, that's true. Stupid trees. <laughs> They should just have been making vodka the whole time. Um, <laughs> so the number one innovative spirit of the year. Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. It is the Heyman's Small Gin. So London distillery Heyman's took a truly creative approach to creating a low alcohol alternative. While still appealing to gin fans with the launch of Heyman's Small Gin last year and just taking the title of most innovative spirit of 2019. Um... Basically, what they're doing is Heyman's gin is said to be so rich in botanical character, only five milliliters is required to make a gin and tonic at the same flavor as same flavor level as a 25 milliliter measure of London dry gin. Bottled at 43%, the flavor profile of Heyman's small gin was based on the brand's classic London dry expression. Um, so the packaging, which they say is even is even equally as clever, each boasts a small gin is boxed in a 200 milliliter gift carton <laughs> and comes with a five milliliter measuring thimble to help consumers familiarize themselves with the tiny serve. The 200 milliliter bottle should provide 40 gin and tonics, 12 more than the standard 700 milliliter. Obviously, talking about English or UK bottles here, um, of dry gin served in 25 milliliter measures. So basically. They took gin flavor, made it stronger, kept it the same ABV, and just said, hey guys, just use less. And that was their low ABV approach, which... Innovative. We have, I mean, I guess when you just, when you, when you start 
at this list, and especially coming off of number two when they're converting carbon dioxide <laughs> into vodka, and then these guys are just kind of like, yeah, we just made it. We made uh, we, pour, we we threw more botanicals in. We put it into a small bottle. Like we put in we put in yeah smaller bottle, more botanicals. Have you seen these tiny bottles? Have you seen this? They're bottle? adorable. It's as innovative as it comes. Uh, I've been feeding my newborn daughter five milliliter. Uh, at a time, yeah, uh, a formula. So I'm very familiar with five milliliters now. Me as well. I remember doing doing the same thing, and it uh, it just it just cracks me up. I mean, like this list, which you know, again, you're going to talk about some of your some of your favorite things here outside of the top five. But it's like, <laughs> what the hell? How does that become number yeah, one? I don't, I don't know. Like you're just like we threw more botanicals in it. it Why is that innovative? Yeah. Well, it's a smaller model. Like people, two hundred milliliters is not a new size. You know? It's no, like, it's not. I mean, they basically said like, "Hey guys, you want that low ABV option? Use less." <laughs> like that was that was their innovative thought. I mean, Coca Cola has been doing that, and they've been putting out commercials for it. Like, I guess, but I mean, number one. Yeah, that it seems, seems more like a seven spot I, yeah, to me. That seems pretty silly. You know? I you know. What makes uh, my little spidey sense go off and make makes me actually interested in this is that I know Heyman's. I love Heyman's. Uh, I haven't had anything from them that I've ever disliked. Um, the, you know, it's a great company. I, I'm very curious. I, this is a terrible write-up by somebody who I feel just clearly doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Or, or Heyman's just bought number one. <laughs> you know, which I, I don't think is probably the case. My guess is they they actually did something really cool, and whoever is writing the copy on this just doesn't really get it. Yeah, I mean, they do have a picture of the packaging, and it looks like a Heyman's bottle. And yeah, it's a Heyman's bottle, but it has this little adorable thin thimble. Or if you are into Peter Man Peter Pan lore, that is a kiss. You can give someone a kiss of gin. Oh, that's really adorable, Drew. Right? Yeah, callbacks, baby. And um, that Disney Plus is really paying off, huh? Oh, dude, so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's so that's the spirits list. Now, there was a hundred items listed on this list. Yeah, that you know we're gonna let people kind of go and explore themselves. Yeah, I mean, what were some of the other things that jumped out at you? Just like just like with the uh, whiskey of the year that we talked about, uh, this this list was a lot cooler the deeper you go got into it. There was a, yeah. a lot of really neat things. I mean, starting off. Obviously, we talked about wanting to just talk about uh, you know top ten or top five. So I was looking at top ten. Centauri AO coming out, um, which is a really cool project. It's it's a neat project. I it's um, we all not all of us, but you and I know Drew that you know um, Japanese whiskey sources a lot of whiskey, ages it in Japan, calls it calls it Japanese whiskey, right? Yeah. Um, so. In this project, my gut instinct was, "Oh, nice! They're admitting it now because it's it, they're taking whiskey from around the world, yeah, barreling it and calling it Centauri AO." Right. I think they're probably taking. It's going to be a little bit more in depth than that. I don't think it is, but go um, on. Go on. <laughs> well, I, I think they're they're finding whiskeys and they're just uh, maybe they're not aging it; they're just bottling it then and sending it off in a new package, but. Um, this Centauri AO wasn't the only one on the list that also had that same uh, MO. 
you know, there was a, there was another one I think down in the thirties that also shared similar, um, you know, sourcing whiskey from around the world to then become this in the bottle. Well, um, what was it? Barrel did a program this year. Well, Barrel always does it. But I mean, but what I'm saying is like they took different single malts from around the United States and then blended those together. So that was kind of a unique That's project neat. that they that they had done. You're right. They, I mean, they source from everybody, but it's yeah. like that project in particular was kind of that cool little thing that they did. And I don't, I certainly don't hold this against you know Centauri or anything like that. I mean, I represent a lot of brands that do that. They source whiskey and then you know bring it to proof, bottle it. Right. And, there's and nothing there wrong go. with sourcing like like we've said it's always just about transparency though yeah and so like this is a step in that direction where you know I think it's it's part of that discussion to kind of I guess disarm people to be like hey settle down like sourcing whiskey is not a bad thing like there's still this touch that Satori is putting on it that makes it quality you know and we're just telling you all these different yeah, things the, the, the touch of the maker is heavy yeah, you know, I mean, it really is. So every every time someone someone puts their hand on on some of this juice, it, it alters it pretty significantly. Um, going down the list as well, uh, Don Julio aged in uh, Reposado aged in a log of woolen cask. Mm. That's just cool, man. Uh, <coughs> Don Julio is one of my favorite tequilas. I, I love the Reposado. Um, log of woolen sixteen. I've said for a long time is my desert island scotch. So right. uh, I. I could see this being terrible, and I can see it being delicious. Uh, the fact that they slapped a label on it makes me think that it was probably okay. Yeah, so I'm interested in it. Yeah, I think I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be fun. It's definitely something I want to try and you know see if there's any of that sweetness that Don Julio has right. and how that complements the peat from the cask. Yeah, well, Lagavulin um, itself also has that like has that sweet finish to it as well. Yeah, so I think it, you know, and that's part of like Diageo's efforts to expand the rules when it comes to Scotch production and stuff like that. I mean, they also have a uh, Buchanan's barrel that they did in a Don Julio cask, so kind of a switch up there. And then um, other brands that have done stuff like that, like Mount Gay did an Isla cask. Uh, that's right, finished rum. And, um, you know, recently we just tried the new Milk and Honey. Uh, yeah. It's um, really single malt that had a little bit of, like, slight peat to it that um, was finished in a very prominent cast that is not allowed to be publicly discussed. <laughs> so I'll tell you off mic. Um, yeah, so there's, there's some really cool stuff that's happening. And, you know, I, I think I'm always going to be a proponent of doing these different barrel aging types and finishes and stuff like that because especially when you're a brand like you know Diageo like you just have so much juice buzzword is that is that like are we doing Pee Wee Herman's words that's exactly where I went with it I like I wish we would have discussed it earlier thank you Um, we'll have one every time but uh, but yeah I think it's I think it's one of the one of those times where you kind of you want Diageo to do it because other smaller brands might not be able to take the same risk. And I mean, and you have brands like Kilhoman that does really cool stuff like that. Edger Dower does the same thing. That they do love to experiment with barrels, but they don't have that reach that Diageo is going to have. Well, Diageo already owns all of the all of the raw materials right. that's necessary for doing it. So why why not just experiment? Yeah, and try some different things out. So yeah. I think it's so I think it's cool to see stuff like that. And then you know, again, from a bar perspective or a liquor store perspective, you know, if you have people who are Don Julio drinkers 
that also happen to be scotch drinkers. Like, hey, here's the marrying of these two worlds for you. Yeah. You know, or, um, you know, offering things that, you know, just a little bit outside that box. You know, you have like a special whiskey flight that month or whatever. Um, it's kind of cool to have, have projects like this. Uh, so now what was, you mentioned one other trend that seemed to permeate through the entire uh, went through the whole list. thing man and that was cannabis and hemp and cbd all the way through the list right um which you know um if you're using cannabis and hemp as a flavor i'm i'm all for it mm -hmm. you know it's, it's related to hops so by all means go ahead uh that wasn't really what we saw through this list, though. Well, we saw more CBD than anything going mm -hmm. through this list. And um, I don't get it. And maybe somebody else can explain it to me. You know, I, but it's it's everywhere. I see CBD-infused coffee, CBD-infused booze now. Was well, it just I because just, it's supposed to be the miracle drug that cures everything? But is it? I mean, it's, I mean, it's an anti-inflammatory. It doesn't... I mean, that's all it does. So it... <laughs> You know, does it does it negate the inflammatory effects of alcohol? Probably, probably not, but I don't know. Maybe you don't get a hangover when you drink it. Hmm. I don't know. We might have to have a But CBD. I don't think anybody's I don't think anybody's going that deep in it. I think they just see it on there and they're like, Dope, let's do this. Right. Right. So it's more trendy than anything else, right? I, I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, you know, somebody might be able to prove me wrong, and I'm, I'm down to have the conversation. I just don't get it. Well, you know, you'd like to see more innovation that way. It's not like they're just adding more botanicals to it, no. you know, not showing real innovation. Yeah. They're just messing around with CBD. Putting it in a smaller bottle. Oh, my God. That's the ticket right um, there. You know, two, two more, uh, three more on here that, <laughs> that I thought were really worth talking about. There's um, uh, Archimite. Which is a buttered toast. Uh, I believe it was a whiskey uh, coming in at number forty-seven. Uh, buttered toast that's been uh, infused with Vegemite. I was going to say it's like because like I was I was ready with the Vegemite so route with you. Yeah, and that's it. so it's a whiskey with Vegemite. Uh, it's, or, yeah, it's the flavor. I I didn't write down exactly <laughs> what spirit was. Sorry, listeners. I apologize. It's okay. We can. Um, there can be housekeeping yeah, next we, week. We can go back to it. Um, uh, uh, number thirty-eight was a it was a basil limoncello. Mm. I thought that was pretty dope. I mean, it's a two things that go together. I wouldn't say it's terribly innovative, but that but it's popular. Yeah, in a bottle. Dope. Go ahead. I, go. I think that's great. Um, and then uh, Swedish single malts coming in at number forty-six from Mac uh, MacMyra. Uh, I I don't know how innovative single malts are, but I like seeing them come from uh, other places around the world. Yeah, you know the American single malt movement has been growing over the last few years. It's really cool. I've been I've been keeping my eye on um, you know Aussie and New Zealand single malts, South Africa, and now now Israel also. Those I mean those are great. Yeah, um, and then the Nordic countries watching their single malt just. Um, explode. Yeah, what, there's a there's one from a Nordic country that they actually use sheep dung to dry the malt. You know what? I've heard about this as well, and I can't remember what brand it is. But uh, it's, it's one of those ones I like, have to look that up. Yeah, like when you see it, you're like, oh, that's the that's the sheep right. dung. Brand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks very uh, Viking ass. But I mean, you know, I I, I agree with you. I really really enjoy seeing single malts coming from different places i've 
I've really been indoctrinated with that over the past, you know, two years working with JVS and just kind of having my mind expanded to these different things. Also, you know, going to things like Whiskeys of the World and stuff like that, where you really do kind of ramp up your exposure. So it's it's cool to see this stuff. And, you know, again, this is the um, 100 most innovative brands for 2019, according to the Spirit Business. So it's a spiritbusiness.com. You can look up the list. You can obviously see they have, they've done this for a couple of years in a row now. It's just it's a it's a fun read and you know again if you're running a bar program or you're running a liquor store this is an opportunity to potentially get ahead of trends to see you know kind of really what's coming down the down the pipe and in, in a situation like the Don Julio with the um, Lagavulin cask it's an opportunity to kind of like bring something new to you know those types of drinkers. Um, moving on to our next story, we're actually going to talk about Treasury Brands. Um, Treasury is a major, major wine outlet here in the United States. Um, they released their quarterly numbers two weeks earlier than expected. Um, this is a big deal because those numbers didn't come in as high as they wanted them to come in at. They showed really great growth in foreign countries, but when it came to the U.S., it wasn't where they wanted it to be. Now, the excuse that they gave was they had some leadership changes in the past year. And originally, Angus McPherson was brought in to take over the head of Treasury for the United States. Due to some personal reasons or whatever, I don't know if we'll ever find out, he actually ended up turning down the role because he was unable to relocate to the United States. Which I just like, I mean, you know, just so many questions. Like, like what could have stopped you? From moving here, you know, I went a little bit more nefarious route with it, but I'm sure it was, you know, more probably more family related. Um, but then uh, Ben Dollard from formerly a Constellation Brand stepped up, took over the role, and just with the transition and trying to get everybody up to speed and stuff like that, that's actually what Treasury um, kind of calculated it up to. Like this is this is the reason that we were down. Now that's how I read it, but you had a completely different interpretation. Definitely. So what was what what jumped out at you? What were the things that you're just kind of like, no, this is deeper than what they're telling us? First of all, the the first sign that something is going not as planned or or there's something else to be read into is the fact that they released their numbers two weeks early. That that right there suggests that this has an ulterior motive to releasing these numbers. Um, we've seen with the tariffs, right? With mm -hmm. rising prices all around the world, um, uh, especially in the wine world, and and the potential for people losing their jobs, the increase in in uh, the dollars needing to be spent in order to get wine to the country, uh, and then passing that along to consumers, it's crazy. You know, it's everything's going up. I, I saw this news as a commentary on the American economy. Um, when <clears throat> reading the, the interview, they, they expressed um, you know, satisfaction with the premiumization of their, of their wines. You know, the higher categories are moving well. But what's not moving well are, are the subcategories. Anything from, a, a, 
I'm probably going to misquote this, but anything from like $30 and under from the grocery store shelves, you know, that's just not doing well for them, which to me means that, you know, your middle and lower class families that normally would spend money on wine aren't, you know, what they're spending money on is the five to $9 range of, of wine or five to $15 range. Um, so you're losing ground in that way. So when they're seeing a drop in their numbers and they're releasing it, before the State of the Union, right? Not that, you know, our federal government's ever gonna, you know, pick this up and, and take it personally. But I think that it really is, um, it's meant to be a statement, um, especially since they're publicly releasing and they're publicly releasing early. Yeah, so some of the brands that we're talking about here, just so people have a reference point, um penfolds which is a brand out of australia very popular 19 crimes uh, i think people are familiar with that one it's like the guys talk to you on the models and stuff um sterling bv uh acacia stag let's see samuel Wynn. let's see behringer um blossom hill stag's leap yeah i mean a bunch of those are are napa right so they're not going to see those same same issues and those a lot of those are premium wines as well you know stags leap bv penfolds fall falls all across the board mm-hmm. um but i i when they they are specifically talking about a certain price point category not doing well or as well as per, as previously operating um, i believe that it's a commentary on our overall economy and the fact that they, to me, the fact that they released it early is meant to be a statement. Well, I mean, and you know, this was something that we talked about when it came to those sodas two weeks ago, where it was just like people are not buying the premium sodas because they just don't, they're, you know, a couple dollars making a difference. Maybe that's it. And that's just right. the economy in general, like you said, not necessarily related to tariffs and stuff like that. But, um, you know. We'll have to wait and see. See if uh, I mean the, the at the end of the day, like there was still growth, still growth, but just comparatively, like we about with tree, you know, yeah, yeah. But, but comparatively, well, in the wine sector too, it's I mean something like that uh, it harkens to a slowing down for sure. And wine, you know, a lot of these wine labels are going to be just fine, mm-hmm. you know, but um, there the potential for people losing their jobs in this country is pretty strong. Right. Um, if it, you know, if it doesn't eventually it, get figured out. Yeah. Right. And it, or if it keeps on a, on a slowing trajectory. Yeah. Okay. So heading into our final story of today and what we consider to kind of be our biggest one that, you know, got people really fired up on the old Facebook. And <laughs> in fact, I received multiple text messages regarding it as well. Um, uh, Beam Centauri has bought an additional, and that's an important key here because mm-hmm. I didn't know this before, mm-hmm. 10% stake in the Edgerton um, company. They already own shares and they are a strong strategic partner um, since the 1990s where they are with them in terms of like global distribution and stuff. Um so, Edrington, what's the name that pops out at you when you hear that? McAllen and Highland Mc- Park. McAllen and Highland Park, absolutely. So, those are the brands that we're, you know, kind of really talking about. They also have... Um, uh, Snow Leopard. Yeah, <laughs> Snow Leopard, yeah, and uh, Partida mm-hmm. Tequila. And then they also have the rum 
Oh, gosh. Totally blanking on it right now. Starts with a B. Me too. I'm blanking on it as well. Um, producer credit. But anyways, you know, so there are, so obviously this is a pretty well-established um, uh, company. And initially when I read it, it was something I was like, oh, man. Like, here comes here comes the takeover. Brugal rum. Oh, Brugal. Duh. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so I was thinking to myself, you know, here's here's these power moves that Beam Satori is making. Beam already owns a ton of stuff. This is them getting their stronger foothold. Um, definitely had a lot of people reach out to me about that and just kind of be like, well, you know, they're actually owned by majority owned by a trust. So they're um, it is the Robertson Trust, which is the biggest grant making trust in Scotland. And this. Edrington is owned by the trust? Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, they're saying that this money will be used in order to issue more grants as well as uh, I think some of the money will be going to the employees as well. Or is cool. that how the article read? Yeah. Um, now, something that someone helped me piece together was recently Edrington has been making some moves. So they have. They sold Cuddy Sark and Glen Turret uh, recently, which are two uh, Scotch brands. You also, you know, consider taking on this kind of cash injection as well. They could be setting themselves up to buy something. Um, this reminded me of Diageo a couple of years ago when they dropped all of their wineries and a lot of their public uh, um, buildings that they had owned. And then they then turned around and dropped a grip of money on Casamigos. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be something that Edgerton has poisoned itself for to get this big influx of cash and then go out and buy some sort of, you know, potentially game-changing brand. I mean, I don't think it's any secret. I mean, McAllen's prices have been going up recently. And just from personal experience, I know they priced a lot of people out um, with some of their changes. Um, I, you know, I still think it's a quality whiskey. A lot of people felt differently. Again, on Facebook, they were very aggressive about yeah, it. Everybody's aggressive on Facebook, right? Um, but uh, I don't know. Like, if if you if this is the case, and this is a hundred percent speculation right now, what do you think they could be doing? Where do you think they might be? moving into well from a from a centauri perspective the way i i see it is this just makes sense right you I mean you have you have a generational brand something that's stable that lasts highland park is working to get there still there but not not quite as much as as mccallan mccallan definitely in mm-hmm. in urgent in edgerton group definitely pays the bills uh to keep highland park afloat at least in in that realm um, I, and seeing a Centauri already has that partnership, it makes sense to me as an investment that they might be making things just easier on themselves. Buying, prop, you know, I, I see it sort of like buying in bulk, right? You just you throw down a ton of money up front to make it easier on you in the in the long run. Yeah, sure. Um, and I could see that being an argument for for why that would make sense for Beam Centauri. Beam Centauri, though, already is what the third or Fourth or fifth largest. I last time I had looked into it, it was the third. Third largest uh, parent company yeah. for booze in the world. Correct. Um, so 
Also, realistically speaking, they don't drop that coin without themselves wanting to make moves. So at very least, it forecasts a little bit of a merger, which I think you were hinting at. That seemed a little scary to you. Yeah, I just don't like... I I don't like the idea of these big, massive companies. And the reason being is because I think competition makes everybody better. And when you have the big boys all, you know, coming together and then eventually it just becomes like this one bottom line, you... I think... You know, you, you do get some of that flexibility that we talked about earlier with, with Diageo, but then I think there's brands that suffer. And oh, without a doubt. There's I mean, definitely the, the consolidation makes everything boring. And it's like, there's a lot of brands in that portfolio that at one point were great brands, and now they're not. Because it just didn't make sense for their bottom line anymore. You know, you're taking away some of, like, the people who really, like, give a shit and built those brands up and stuff like that. And, and that's just where I get a little freaked out about it because I think Beam does a great job. They have a really cool portfolio. They are doing these different things like the, the world uh, single malt that we were talking about. But at the same time, it's like you have so much stuff. It's just like, God, when is enough enough? <laughs> you know? And and again, it's it's creating this competition. And, you know, for me personally, I, I mean, I love Highland Park. That's one of my favorite things. Actually, yeah. you know, for our listeners at home, if you didn't listen to the last Tasty Notes, you guys did Highland Park 18, we right? We did, yeah. And, um, and I think we've talked about this on this podcast before, and I was kind of screaming it through to you guys on it. But Highland Park does have a playlist on Spotify for when you're drinking whiskey. That's right. They and do. It's so great. Is it? It's like I remember when I first and I and I have a very special place in my heart for Highland Park because it's that's the brand that that's the brand where it finally clicked for me. Where I was like, I get it. I get Scotch now. I don't know why. I had such a hard time wrapping my mind around it. But it was partly Highland Park and then it was partly Brian McGregor, who's a brand new listener to the podcast now because I guilted him into it. Yeah. Um, and he's already given us notes, which is great. <laughs> um, but so those are the two guys, those are two factors that really got me into it. And so when I saw that they had done a um, playlist on Spotify <laughs> or I'd heard about it, maybe via Twitter or something, I was like, I was like, it sounds cool, but it also sounds like it's going to be really stupid. Like, how does that make any sense? And then I started listening to it and I was like, ah, I really want to drink some whiskey right now. I don't know why. So... Um, it's really cool. So on Spotify, look up Highland Park. I can't wait. And um, it's a really great playlist. But I was thinking about that when you guys were doing your tasting notes. And I was really jealous. I was like, oh, man, you're sipping on Highland Park 18 and you brought me some bullshit pear thing when we did it. <laughs> well, hang on, man. That was not bullshit. That was ancient. <laughs> or we thought so. Then there was all kinds of plastic in it. We're like, it's actually not that old. Um, so, so, yeah. So, you know. Fuck me for trying, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um so you know, kind of, kind of bringing it all, bringing it all back. So yeah, so they they make this big move. Um, you know, we speculate all we want to into what Edgerton's you know going to do. Like one of their more recent uh, pickups was, I think, the Wyoming whiskey. So you know, they are getting into the American whiskey market. And then, um, like I said, they do have you know they have a rum, they have a tequila. Maybe it's mezcal. You know, they don't have one of those in their portfolio right now. It's a growing trend. Um, we've seen we've seen a lot of speculation with Canadian whiskeys as well. I'd be Ooh, I, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they make that move as well. I mean, considering considering so many uh, whiskey brands already source 
from mm-hmm. Canada, I wouldn't be surprised to see see that growth. Yeah, they actually they don't have a gin right now either. So you know, it, I think there's a lot of different routes they could potentially go. You know, or maybe maybe they could make a move into the Baijiu Arena. You know, that would be an interesting one. I I um, I'd be surprised to see it, but uh, there have been some fairly commercial friendly Baijus. And we talked about that before, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I we see that they're they're making that effort to to break into the American uh, market. I mean, they're here already, but really to to become commonplace. Yeah, that could be it. I mean, they could be looking at it as like we're uh, we're a brand or two away. Yeah, really I mean, ourselves. talk about an innovative move. Right there, we go. Yeah. So that so that could be it, and you know, again, that's all speculation where they're going. But um, but yeah, just a couple of things to learn. Like I didn't know that they were majority owned by like this essentially a charity. Yeah, me neither. So that was kind of a cool thing. And then you know, calling back on like the Cuddy Sark and the Glen Turret. Oh, I miss that was Cuddy. that I love was Cuddy. that was one thing that you know I had not considered. And then just you know, looking at it from the strategic partnership, like like their global distributors, you know partnership with beam centauria it makes sense you know so um so we'll see what happens um so that wraps up our story so now what we have to do is we have to talk shit about brad peters easy Um, where do i start so i wanted to share one of my favorite things about brad that um at times can be hugely inconvenient for everybody else and (laughs) um I don't know. Like, God, I hope this I, is going where it's going. Well, I, I, always, I always thought I was really good at this. And it turns out I was nothing compared to this man when it comes to the Irish goodbye <laughs> that Brad Peters <laughs> is capable of. Yes. And, um, and and Brad's a really good sport when it comes to like really getting after it. I mean, like the guy is a pretty awesome, awesome drinker. And there was – and he has this affinity for like – drinking at these suburb bars that are just not making quality drinks, but he just loves it. And yeah, he's a trashy human being. Yeah, he really can be. And there was one time when we were at a bar in the suburbs, and it was just everything you wanted it to be and more. And it was just getting to a point where we are getting pretty tuned up. And I happened to catch him in the act of trying to Irish goodbye oh, us. that's fantastic. Which... You know, obviously defeats the whole purpose. So for, you know, for anyone who doesn't know what the Irish goodbye is. Wait, was this at the Pink Martini? It was. Yes! <laughs> yes! Yeah. And so, um, so, so the Irish goodbye, you know, anytime that you try to leave, leave a party, it's difficult, right? So the Irish goodbye is you just leave. You don't say goodbye to anybody or anything like that. But when you get caught in an Irish goodbye, not a good situation. Because in this scenario... He's ditching all of his friends, and I just was like, I was like, I was like, wait, are you are you Irish goodbying us right now? And he was, and he's drunk. No, no, <laughs> and then got like a little indignant about it. You know, it was just like because you could tell he was pissed that he kind of got caught in the act. You know, because that's just what he. I mean, I've, he's done it to me numerous times before. Oh, so I don't know if I have like a radar for it now. I was like, when is he gonna try to leave us? Well, I, I'll give you at least a couple visual clues. First of all, Brad is a very jolly drunk. Yes. He is he Agreed. is a hugger, he's a kisser, he sings and dances, uh, but more importantly than anything cuz he's already kind of that way no matter what, mm-hmm. but he um, his hair 
uh, does a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yes, it's it just, does. It's like immediate. As soon as Brad gets drunk, his hair just pops it goes up. up. It's up. And you just, you're like, well, how, how does that even happen? <laughs> and it's just, there it is. There's drunk Brad. Yeah, I used to have a thing where, based on where my hat was at on oh. my head, that was like, oh, Drew's like halfway to gone right now. Like it's um, that was that was my measuring stick. But yes, the, the 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 worst part about Brad wanting to leave a party is not that Brad wants to leave a party. It's the fact that he orders ten drinks and then doesn't pay for them. <laughs> he and it, he it. I believe that it's completely sincere. It's not he's trying to be a dick. He's just innately a dick. Yeah, he just orders them and then leaves. But he's like, I did everybody a favor. Like everybody's everybody's next drink is already here. Yeah, because they're all now distracted in having a drink that, that yeah. he can leave. There's his opening for the Irish goodbye. That's right. So what a motherfucker, um, Brad, you're a total dick. Yeah, this segment will continue. Yeah, until we hear from you that you're listening. Well, and I think this is a really solid PSA moment. Just don't be a Brad. Don't be a Brad. There it is, folks. Don't be a Brad, our official sign-off. <laughs> Don't from, be a Brad 2020. From from now on. Um, I I do want to say that last or two weeks ago, you had come up with a really great question for what we want to ask people when they do come on the show. Okay. And I don't want us to get into it right now because I do want to save this for when we have somebody next. But now that you are a dad... You had this question like, what bottle would you leave your kid? Right? That yeah. was kind of how you phrase it. And yeah. I think that's I think that's awesome. I want everybody at home to think about that. And I want a volunteer to be like, I want to come on the show and I want to talk about this. So, okay, here's my question. Is it any theoretical bottle or a bottle that you have or have had in your collection? I don't know. And I think that's why we got to keep it open-ended. Fair. You know? Uh, and I think, I think we're getting... Uh, change those criteria as time on, goes on based on conversations for sure for sure so we'll do that so so folks think about that um also if you find yourself in uh rum congress this coming week in miami yours truly is going to be there i will actually be pouring the chironda expressions so uh come out it's gonna be a really fun trip i'm pretty jealous man i i like miami um it's, my first trip first it's time. a it's a it's a really cool city yeah so i'm i'm really excited there's a lot of people who i've like cultivated friendships with via the interwebs that um will finally be able to consummate that friendship Aww. in real life and um you know there's obviously some really cool bars out there as well and uh, it's always fun to hang out with other rum enthusiasts. So Yeah, if you want to see Drew and you happen to be in Miami and just happen to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> There's a lot of factors that need to come together. Yeah. But. You're probably the only one, so you should hit him up. <laughs> yeah, you're obviously a fan. I'll even take a picture with you. Um, so with all that said, uh, again, congratulations on the birth of your daughter. She's absolutely beautiful. Very That's excited for you, for you. I mean, you always had bags under your eyes, but now you really have bags it's under true. your eyes and that is the sign of, of true fatherhood yeah um so cheers to you buddy all right bud all right guys have a great night the good bottle podcast was recorded at the good bottle shop in sacramento california music is by leon moore and chase moore follow us on facebook and instagram at the good bottle podcast